broken arms or legs, so we're happy about that. We had a good time. It was great. We enjoyed uh, going down there and riding the subway and spending time down there and uh, just uh, really enjoyed ourselves. Appreciate uh, you inviting us to come here. Looking forward to uh, the dinner tomorrow. I like all those different types of food. That's always a highlight to me for our missions conferences when we have our international, we call it international dinner, international banquet. So it'll be a great time tomorrow. So I hope you're there. Bring plenty of food because I'll be plenty hungry, okay? We'll really enjoy ourselves together. I'd like you to turn with me over to Second Corinthians chapter 8. I don't think there's anything I love it more than to teach and preach on missions and what God can do through our churches. I, I became pastor at Buckley Road Baptist Church 35 years ago. When I came, there was no missions giving. We just They didn't give to missions. They had a couple of missionaries. They took a little bit out of the general funds. I think maybe they were given a total of $2,000 a year to missions. Well, God began to bless the church. The church grew. And, and uh, you know, the first thing we started was Faith Promise Missions in February of the year of 1979. It was 1980 when we started Faith Promise. I came in 79, the latter part. In 1980, we started Faith Promise Missions. And I think that year our goal was like seven or $8,000. And then the next year, it more than doubled. I think it went up to about 20000 But the church began to grow. And so this past year, I think we gave about $160,000, $170,000 to world missions. But all along that time, God increased our, our general funds. Our general funds increased more, really, than, than what our missions did. And so God always took care of our needs. And, you know, I always reflect back in the verse in Philippians. It says, And God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he's talking to the churches, the church of Philippi, that gave. They gave to missions. They gave to Paul's missionary journeys. And he said, You know what? God's going to supply. God's going to take care of your church. He's going to take care of your needs as long as you're taking care of the things that God wants you to do. And the biggest thing God wants us to do is take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. At home, to our neighbors, to our state, to our country, to other countries, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. We're to take the gospel everywhere. And as we do that, and we do it with the right heart, I believe God's going to take care of the needs of each church that really is involved in doing that. And tonight... I want us just to go over something you probably know very well, and it's what faith promise is all about. We're going to start reading in 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to read verses, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll pick up with the sermon from there. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so would also, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, 
in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. You know, I believe the scriptures teach three principles of giving. The first principle is tithing. It was started with creation. God has always reserved a portion of his provision for himself. I believe that the first sin included coveting God's portion. That tree, the knowledge of good and evil, it belonged to God. It didn't belong to them. And he said, you can have anything in this garden you want, but that tree is mine. Leave it alone. But Adam and Eve coveted after what belonged to God. And they took what belonged to God. And I believe the tithe is that way. God gives us an income. And he says, you can have 90% of it, but 10% belongs to me. Leave it alone. We always want to covet God's percent. You know, we always want to cover, covet what belongs to God. Just like Adam and Eve did. Uh, it's not possible for us to give an offering to God until the believer is faithful in giving the tithe. Because the tithe is what God expects of us. And so I can't give an offering to God if I, can't give, if I don't give the tithe. The second thing is giving sacrificially. Israel, they sacrificed their treasures when Moses asked God's people to give to build the tabernacle and to, you know, to, to build the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and all these different things that they needed, uh, all the furnishings they needed. So they began to give and they gave sacrificially. They gave their jewelry. They gave their uh, different clothings and, and uh, tapestries and things like this. They gave until finally Moses said, all right, that's enough. I don't need any more. Stop. So that was sacrificial giving for many of those. They gave up the things they had. And then the third type of giving is what we want to talk about tonight is faith promise giving. This is resting on God's ability to supply the finances needed for God's purpose of world missions through God's people in his churches. See, God's counting on us. God's counting on us to be willing to yield ourselves to him, as we talked a little bit last night, giving yourself to God. And letting God work through us to generate what needs there will be to get the gospel out. Well, he needs people, people to go. He needs people to give. He needs people to pray. And some of us aren't in the position where God has not called us to go, except in our own community. But he hasn't called us to go to another country. He's called us to be a witness to our neighbors, to people we work with, people around us. We're to do that. But he's also called others to go. And the only way they can go is through the cooperation of a church. Each church is helping, support, and sending people out. You may send people out of your church. You've send, sent men out of your church to start churches. Uh, have you sent any missionaries out of your church yet? All right, no missionaries yet. I, we haven't sent any missionaries yet either, but we've sent church planners. But we send people out. And... Uh, that's a great thing that God's doing, and God works through the church, but we have to be willing. Faith giving. We exercise faith in various areas of our life, but there are many who never consider that giving should be done by faith also. We think, well, if I don't see it, then I don't have to give it. Well, I practice faith in my whole life and everything that I do, and we need to learn to practice faith also in our giving. So we're going to study faith giving and praying that God will help us to understand it better and to have more faith in him and to trust him more in giving. 
in chapters 8 through 10 of 2 Corinthians, it talks of faith giving. One year before the writing of 2 Corinthians, the believers in Corinth had been told by Paul about the plight of the Christians in Jerusalem. What was going on? Well, the people in Jerusalem were being persecuted. Great persecution. They lost their jobs. Uh, they couldn't do anything because the, uh, the, the Jews wouldn't allow it to happen because of their faith in the Lord. So there become some, some, some persecution and some great poverty. And so there was a need. These people needed help out. So immediately the church of Corinth promised to help the Jerusalem saints financially. Paul was thrilled about that. In fact, he went around talking to other churches and telling them, this is what the Corinthians are going to do. They're going to get involved in this offering. They're going to help. And by using them, it encouraged others. Well, boy, if they're going to do it, we ought to get involved too. So he said, your promise has encouraged, has provoked a lot of people uh, to be involved in giving. Well, Paul waited for one year, and then he went to get the promise. But when he did, they didn't have anything to give. See, they were very quick to make a promise. They were very slow to give it. They were excited about it. They thought there was a great need. Their heart was burdened, but they didn't perform the doing of what they had promised. And so Paul begins to talk to them and tell them, listen, this is not good. This is not right. You can't be making these promises and not following through. You can't tell God you're going to do something and not do it. You can't get all excited about something that you really believe is God's will, but then you don't follow through with it. That's not right. And so he begins to explain to them about others, about the giving of the Macedonian churches. And he said, first of all, I want you to know that the reason the Macedonian church is given is Philippi and Thessalonica. The reason they're giving is because they heard you're giving. You encouraged them. They thought, man, if those people will give, we ought to give. So he said, that's the first thing I want you to know. But then I want to tell you how they gave. So he's challenging the church of Corinth to follow the example of the Macedonian churches. So we're going to notice in this, the first few verses four things. And then in the last two verses that we've read, we're going to look at two things. So six things altogether we're going to look at tonight. The first thing I want us to see is the preciousness of their example. Chapter 8, verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. So in that verse, we see that they were, they were going through a great trial of affliction. They're going through some hard times. Not just little hard times, great difficult times. Things that were really tough. And they were, they were involved in giving even though there was great affliction. The greatest times of blessing are usually during the greatest times of suffering. Some of the most difficult times of our life will bring about some of the greatest blessings of our life. Affliction builds strong Christians. Your pastor and I were talking today and he was naming some different buildings down in the city that were built. And he told me when they were built during the Depression. That was one of the greatest times of affliction in our country. But some of the greatest buildings, some of the greatest things were done during that difficult time. I know all in our area there's a lot of uh, state parks 
A lot of big buildings have been built in those state parks. And, and along the uh, Ontario uh, Lake, there, there are some uh, big uh, walls have been built. And you look at the date they were built during the Depression. So a hard times came, difficult times came, but out of those difficult times came some good things. And here the church of uh, Philippi was going through some very difficult times. But out of those difficult times will become some of the greatest blessings because they will yield themselves to God and God will take those difficulties and bring about something great. And you may be going through some hard times. Don't give up on God. Don't quit doing things for God. Don't quit giving to God. Don't quit witnessing for God because out of those times, right around the corner, you're going to see some great blessings because of your endurance. Because you're willing to stand, because you're willing to serve, because you're willing to give. So, their affliction did affect them. But it affected them in the sense that they did more. They were became better givers. They became more concerned about doing what God wanted. It just made them focus a little harder, saying, you know what? There may be difficult things happening around us, but this is a time for us to do something for God. But, you know, many people, when hard times come, the first thing they stop doing is giving. They stop giving to God. They say, well, God will understand. Well, it's God's money. And God said he'd supply. God said he'd take care of it. And he's saying, I guess you don't really understand what it's all about. So it says great affliction. Then it says deep poverty. These people were not just poor. They were extremely poor. I would say they were dirt poor. They had nothing. There was nothing. And so their offering wasn't a big offering in our eyes. I mean, if you sat down and counted it, it wouldn't be a lot of money. But it was a tremendous amount of money for people who had nothing. They gave out of their poverty. They gave more than could ever be expected of them to give. Because of their heart and because God made it possible that they could give more than what they had to give. We'll continue looking at this. You know, it's very easy to become obsessed with your own situation and not give to others when you're going through a tough financial time. That's why their example became so great and so precious. Their heart was toward God and toward others. What's the thing that we do when it gets tough economically? What do we do? Do we give up giving to God? Do we give up spending money in in different areas? What do we do? And what happens when things get tough for us? We see the pattern they're giving. Verse 3. For to their power, I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they're willing of themselves. Well, they gave to their power. That means they gave their ability. They gave what they had. You know, I can pull out my wallet now and I probably have maybe $40, $50 in my wallet. And I took that out and I put it in the offering. That's what I could do. That's my ability. I'm able to do that. I have that on me right now. I gave to my ability. So that's what that means. They gave what they had. Now, it could mean sacrifice. Could It could be that that $50 I need to get home on. And that could end up being a sacrifice when I get stuck on a bridge somewhere and can't cross it. That'd be a real sacrifice if I couldn't get back across the George Washington Bridge. So they gave to what they had. And like I said, it could mean sacrifice. They had limited resources, but they were burdened. 
their burden led them to share with others. It doesn't take faith to give that way. That's what I'd call burden giving. But then it says they gave beyond their ability. They wanted to do more. They gave beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? Well, you know, an example of this would be it's my, to my ability to pick up that chair and move it at least a few feet. That's my ability. But it's not my ability. It's beyond my ability to pick up that piano and carry it an inch. I'm not gonna, it's not gonna happen. It's beyond my ability to do that. And if I went over and did that, you know that either there's somebody under there with me, or there's some type of machinery that's picking that up and carrying it, because that's not my ability to do so. So you couldn't say, oh yeah, he could do that because he's so strong. No, that's not, not at all. That's beyond my ability. The example of being able to give beyond your ability is in 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a widow. Widow and her meal and oil, and she just had enough. She was in deep poverty. There was a famine, and she had decided this. I'm going to make a little cake for my son and I, and then I'm going to die. That's it. That's all the food we have. There's no more. And so she had already decided, she'd already settled it, that we're going to eat one last time, and that's it. We're going to die. So she had nothing, just a little meal and a little oil. She, the prophet said to her, well, give me a little. And he said, if you give me a little, then you're going to have enough for your family and it'll continue. Now, he had to have some faith. She had to have a little faith there to believe that the prophet knew what he was talking about. And so she went ahead and she made a little bit for him and her and her son and she ate it. Thinking that that's it. But God was going to do a miracle. And the miracle that takes place is she had a little bit more meal and a little bit more oil for the next day. And she made another cake. And then at lunchtime, she had a little bit more meal and a little bit more oil and she made another cake. And at supper time, she had enough meal and oil to feed her and her son. And the next day and the next day and the next day. Until the famine ended. So once she surpassed the day that she fed her son, herself, and the prophet, from that point on, she was doing something beyond her ability. And how did she do it? God provided. God provided the means. God provided the meal and the oil so that she can continue. But he provided it because she had faith enough to believe the prophet and go ahead and give some to him too. And I think that we can kind of look at faith promise that way in our missions giving. We pray and we ask God what he'd have us to give. And it's going to be different for everybody. And God says, this is what I want you to give. He lays that on your heart. Not saying he audibly tells you, but he lays on your heart what he wants you to give. And you'll think, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. But Lord, if this is truly what you want me to do after I've prayed about this and I feel confident this is what you want, I'm going to just do it. And I'm going to do it every week for the next 52 weeks. And I'm going to believe that you're going to take care of it. I'm going to trust you by faith. And God takes care of it. And through the year, you have testimonies of how God supplied your faith promise. How things uh, that you normally would be spending money, you're, you're not spending on that anymore. And that maybe some money came to you or extra work time or uh, things that took place that 
made it possible that you had more. Why? Because you went ahead by faith, trusted God, to do what God wants you to do. See, it's God supplying to us. You know, we, we become the middleman. Middlemen are always the one to get the most of it all, right? The manufacturer sells to the middleman. The manufacturer doesn't make a, a huge profit. He sells to the middleman. The middleman makes the profit. He makes the most money as he sells it to other people. And so we become the middleman. Here's God. He's handing down to us. And then we hand it down as a church to the missionaries. Now, the missionaries benefited. Souls are saved. But in, 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 in the, the middle of it, we get the benefit of the souls being saved. We're getting the benefit of seeing God's supply to us. So we're, we're getting a double portion because we're trusting God. I want to be the middleman. I want to be the one that I raise up, God hands to me, and I turn and hand it back. I don't take it and shove it in my pockets because then God will stop. But I'm trusting God and I give it and I pass it on. And God blesses that. And we get a tremendous blessing. I mean, can you imagine when we all get to heaven, when your church gets to heaven, and all the people that got saved through your missionaries and through your outreaches, through passing out of tracts, the people you witnessed to, the people who have gone out of this church and have started churches. Can you imagine all the people are going to be standing up there saying, you guys, because of you, I got saved. Because of you, I'm in heaven. Because of you, I got saved, my mom got saved, my dad got saved, my brothers and sisters got saved, this village got saved. All these people come to know Christ the Savior because you're, you had a burden. You had a heart to obey God and to trust God by faith. To sacrifice at times and to trust the Lord. And souls were saved. Lives were changed. When we get to heaven, that's the only thing that's going to count. What we've done for the Lord. The souls that we've reached for Christ. The purpose of their giving. Verse 4. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. The purpose of their giving was that they cared for others. It was not a selfish motive. They didn't give to get. They didn't, they didn't think, well, if we give this, then God's going to give us something. God's going to take care of us if we give to God. No, that's a benefit of giving, that God's going to bless you. But that's not the reason for giving. You don't give because you're going to get something out of it. You give because God's laid on your heart to give. Because you know the, the need. You, you realize that souls need to be saved. And whether you get anything from it or not, you're going to do this. Their giving was for others. They also supported Paul financially to preach at Corinth, the churches of Macedonia, so that Paul could preach there. They pleaded with Paul to accept their offering. Paul said, you know, I, I don't want to accept this. And they said, no, you've got to take it. We're doing this not for you, but so the gospel can get out. So the people from regions beyond can be reached. That's why we're giving this. These Gentiles wanted to reach the world for Christ. The offering was totally for others. It wasn't for self. It wasn't used for their church. It wasn't used to take care of their needs. Even though they had great needs, it was used for others. It was used for other 
areas. It was used for other churches. It was used for missionaries to get the gospel out. It was used for church planters to get the gospel out. Faith promise is giving to evangelize the world outside of your local church. That's what missions is all about. Evangelizing the world. And it may be, you know, two miles away. Or it may be 20 miles away. Or maybe the other side of the state. Or it could be the other side of the world. But it's evangelizing, getting the gospel out so that the work of God can be accomplished, so that men and women can do what God's called them to do. Then look at verse 5, the power of their example. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Paul said, they gave not as we hoped. And if you stopped reading there, you'd think, ah, they failed. Paul figured they were going to do a whole lot more than what they did. No, keep going. He said, they gave themselves first. Revival broke out in their hearts. They gave of themselves first. You know, I think a missions conference can be a revival time. Because we're giving of ourselves. You know, if you just decide, well, I'm going to give my money, that's not going to do much good. But when you decide to give yourself, that will continue. See, if I decide to give some money... I'll probably, after a while, just not really be too concerned about that anymore. Especially if I have a financial problem come up. But if I give myself, that'll continue forever. I give of myself. So they weren't just giving money. He said, they first gave of themselves. And when they gave of themselves to God first, the Lord did something great. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us. By the will of God. They gave themselves to the Lord. Then they gave themselves to us. By the will of God. They were involved in what we were doing. In getting the gospel out. Why? Because they gave themselves to God. So. It's a dedication to Christ. Why do we go to church? Why do we serve the Lord? Why do we witness? Why do we read the Bible? Because of dedication to the Lord. So they first gave themselves to the Lord. The first essential in faith promise giving is a total dedication to God. Giving yourself to God. Dedicating your life to the Lord. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You give yourself to the Lord first. And as you give yourself to the Lord, then God will work through you. God will be able to make you do things beyond your ability because you've given yourself to him. Now God begins to work through you. You know, it's some people can do some really wonderful things with their ability. But can you imagine how much greater they can do with God working through them? Give yourself the Lord. You may sit back there and say, well, I don't have any abilities. I can't do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You may not think you can do anything. But when you begin to yield your life to the Lord, you'll do some great things. You'll hear testimonies, people saying, I thank the Lord for so and so because they were such a blessing in my life. They did so this and that and the other for me. You think, wow, I didn't realize I did that. I didn't know I was really a blessing. Well, you really weren't. It was God working through you. I was talking to a man the other day. He was having some problems and he uh, he said, can I talk to you? And I didn't I don't know the man. He doesn't know me. He knew I was a pastor and said, yeah, I'll be glad to talk to you. We set up appointments, sat down and talked. He began to spill his guts about all kinds of things. And 
you know, he never really gave me hardly room to say anything. I just listened to him, listened to him, listened to him. Then finally, when he stopped, I, I asked him if he knew the Lord as Savior. And he said, yes, I accepted Christ several years back. I haven't really been in church. I haven't been living like I ought to. But yes, I am a believer. And I know I need to change my life. And so I encouraged him to get into church, invite him to our church. And finally, we're finished. And, and I really didn't address the problems because he really didn't give me, he didn't really ask me to address the problems. And we got done. And he said, man, I thank you so much. You helped me in such a great way. I'm thinking, I, I didn't say a word. How could I have helped you? And then I thought, wait a minute, that wasn't me. It's God helped him. God helped him through me just being there. That's what he needed. And I'm thinking, I didn't do anything. I didn't even know what to say to the guy. But God worked. And you know, as you yield yourself to God, sometimes you don't have to say a thing. You're just there. And you become a blessing and an encouragement. Because of who you are. Because of your testimony. Because you're representing the Lord. God doesn't really need our money. God's not poor. He's not begging. He's just saying, you want a blessing? And I want to bless you. And I want to work through you. And the greatest blessing that we can ever be is for God to work through us. He said, I want to use you. I want to use you to get the gospel out. I want to use you to see souls saved. I want to use you in a mighty way if you'll just let me be in control of your life. Just give yourself to me. He needs people who are willing to give themselves to him so he can supply what is needed to reach the world with the gospel. He has all the money that's needed. He needs people he can trust to take and use it for his honor and glory. He needs churches that he can trust to take that money and to properly use it in getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out. Hopefully, you're one of those churches. Hopefully, my church is one of those churches. But, you know, a church is not the building. It's the people that are members of it. It's the people within that building, people who worship together. You're the church. You're the ones that are going to make the difference in this community. And you're the ones going to make the difference with your missionaries and unto all the earth. So after giving themselves, they give by faith. Faith promise is a voluntary offering until it's promised. It's not an offering that God says you have to do. It's a voluntary offering. Until I promise to God that it's no longer voluntary. Now it's between me and God. I've made a commitment. God's committed to me that he'll supply it. I've committed to him that I'll give it. And by faith, I give it. And that he supplies it. You know, God never lets down on his end. We sometimes let down on our end. But God will never let down on his end. And you know, like I said last night, it's been 52 weeks since your last missions conference. And God has been working in your life those 52 weeks. You've heard a lot of sermons. And you've been at the altar many times. And you've had a lot of devotions. And you've read your Bible many times. And you've had a lot of time of prayer. And God has worked in special ways in your life during that time. Your faith has increased. Now, do something to increase it even more. Trust God and give as He would lay on your heart to give. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It's not the amount we give. It's the willingness of our heart. 
Someone in my church come to me one time and said, Pastor, what do you think I ought to give? And I just looked at him and said, what? I have no idea what you ought to give. He said, well, I make this much money per week, so what should I give? I go, I can't tell you what to give. I said, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what God lays on your heart to do. You know, it, it doesn't make you a super Christian because you've given more money than someone else. The faith comes in the point of you're giving what God tells you to give. You're doing what God wants you to do. Everybody's different. Every family's different. Everybody's at a different level of faith. You're just trusting God to do what he tells you to do. Not what the preacher tells you to do or someone else tells you to do. It's not what your neighbor does. It's what God wants you to do. And so, no doubt you've been praying now for several weeks about this. And you're praying now. You just pray, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for me to do in giving this year? I want to be used by you and I want my faith to grow. But I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to be ridiculous and promise something that you didn't want me to promise. I want to do your will in this matter of giving. So the main thing here is there needs to be a surrender of your will. The surrendering of your will. Look at chapter 8, verse 12. For if there be a willing mind, it is accepted according to the man hath, and not according to the hath not. There has to be a willing mind. We don't try to bribe God with our money. Well, Lord, I'll give this amount if you take care of this. No, don't, don't be bribing God. You can't bribe God. But some people think they can. He doesn't need our money. He wants us. He wants us to give our lives to him. This is what I call a spiritual offering. They first gave of themselves. You don't have to be spiritual to tithe. You have to be obedient to tithe. But faith promise becomes a spiritual offering. You give it for different reasons. You don't have to. You do it because of your love. Because of what God's placed in your heart. Now, how do we give the faith promise? Now we look at verses 6 through 8. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. So how do we give to missions? Well, first of all, give with an attitude of willingness, an attitude of willingness. The attitude of the giver is very important. As he said in in verse one of chapter eight, he tells us that, uh, Verse 8, I mean, of of chapter 8. He says, I speak not by commandment. So I'm not commanding you to do this. There has to be an attitude of willingness. Giving is a matter of will or won't. Will I or won't I? So will or won't. We're all going to commit to something that's important to us. You know, if something's really dear to my heart and important to me, I'll commit to that. I'll give my time and energy. I'll give myself all out for something I believe is important. And so there has to be a, an attitude of willingness. It's not like, uh, can take it or leave it. No, this is the heartbeat of the church. 
is missions, evangelism, soul winning, getting the gospel around the world. That's really the most important thing that your church does. That's the thing that you put out the most, reaching people for Christ, doing all we can. It may be teaching people to be soul winners. It may be uh, uh, preparing gospel John and Romans and getting them out into the community. It may be uh, blitzing areas with tracts. It may be witnessing at work. It may be having missionaries in and praying for them and sending them out. It may be uh, groups gathering, praying for missionaries. Uh, the thing of the heartbeat of our church is to get the gospel out. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want it around the whole world. And so there has to be an attitude of willingness. God is able to give to you so that you can give to others if you'll do it. There has to be a willingness. We're commanded to tithe. We're commanded to pray. We're commanded to read our Bibles. We're commanded to witness. We're commanded to live holy lives. But Paul says, I can't command you to do this. It's completely voluntary. It's completely up to you. You know, holidays are coming. Christmas is coming. People will be giving Christmas gifts. My wife's birthday was the other day. I felt kind of obligated to give to my wife a birthday present. I mean, if I didn't, I'd know what would happen. I gave because I loved her, but I also probably gave selfishly because if I don't, I'd probably be in big trouble. So I gave to her. Valentine's Day comes. What do we do? We're, we kind of feel obligated to do something. A card, flowers, candy, something. We're obligated. We want to, but it's also kind of expected. And the thing about this is when you give to Faith Promise, it's not something you had to do. It's not something God expected you to do. It's something that you willingly do because you want to do it. Because you have a heart's desire to do it. Faith promise is only to be given because you want to. To be given out of willing heart. It's a spiritual gift. It's a promise to the Lord. But once promised, it obligates us. It's a great blessing to be able to do something, to bless someone. Not because they've done something special, not because they deserve it, but because you want to do it for them. And that's the kind of blessing that pleases God. Philippians 4.18 says, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. He's talking about the offering of the church of Philippi, that their offering was a odor of sweet smell to God. It was, you know, in the sacrifices, uh, there was an incense offering which was uh, like prayers going up into heaven. And the Lord saying through Paul, he said, the giving of these people was a sweet smell. It was a sacrifice unto me. It was a wonderful thing. It wasn't something they had to do. It was something they wanted to do. It was special. It was a blessing. It was an honor to God. And we are honoring God. And we're showing our love for God when we give our missions offering. We're to give happily. We're to give cheerfully. And that's the second point is give as an action of worship. In verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. As I said, you're not commanded to give, but if we do, we prove the sincerity of our love. 
A lot of people talk about loving God, but then they don't show up at church. Love God, but they never read the Bible. Love God, but they never give. Love God, but they never pray. I mean, everybody loves God, but they don't ever do anything for God. That doesn't mean a whole lot. It's like telling your wife, I love you and never talk to her except to tell her I love her. Uh, I love you, but I never will do anything for you. I love you, but I'll say no to you for anything you want. I love you, but I'm not going to buy you any gifts. After a while, you're thinking, man, you say you love me, but your actions do not show that nor prove it. Our missions giving is one way in which we prove the sincerity of our love. We prove that we love the Lord. Love is not just a feeling. Love is a command, whether it's a feeling or not. The Lord said, love your enemy. How do you love an enemy? You don't have a feeling of love to them. But loving your enemy is giving them a glass of cold water in Jesus' name. Loving your enemy is feeding them. Loving your enemy is praying for them. Loving your enemy is helping them when they need help. When he falls in the ditch and he breaks his leg and everyone else is walking by, you stop and you help him even though he's your enemy. You help him out. It's an action. It's not like you're saying, oh man, I love that guy so much. He fell and broke his leg. I just got to help him. It's no, I don't really like that guy. and He's really treated me bad, but he's my brother. I got to take care of him. I got to help him out. So we do something for him. So. Love is an action. Love is a demonstration. Christ loved the church. And what? He gave himself for it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If we love, we'll give. What is love? It's doing. It's giving. Paul tells these Corinthians, prove your love. How? Well, love's an action. Love is giving. Some look for an easy way to prove their love. But remember, Barnabas, he sold everything he had and he went out and served God. He didn't try to find an easy way. Jesus didn't look for an easy way to show his love. Some Christians say, I love the Lord, but I don't see why I ought to give. I don't see why I need to give to prove it. Well, because giving proves your love. That's why. You can't just say you love and not do something about it. And if we say we love a lost and dying world, and we want to see them come to know the Lord and Savior, then we have to do something about it. We have to give. You have to give yourself. That's number one. Give yourself. God will work everything else out. My wife and I took a trip to Papua New Guinea probably ten years ago now. While we were there, very interesting thing, very interesting story uh, Developed. I preached at a uh, a brand new church that met in a brush arbor. They didn't have a building. They just put up some sticks in the ground and threw some branches over top, and that's where we met. And the missionary began to talk to me and tell me the story behind all of this. There was about a hundred people underneath that crowded uh, brush arbor. There was a very nice house right next door to this brush arbor. Very nice house. In fact, we went in, looked around and said, wow, this is a nice place. And the things that we saw in Papua New Guinea, it was like that was a mansion. Mansion of mansions. Everybody else was living in these, these huts. It's like, wow, this is nice. He said, yeah, one of the members of the church lives there. He said, let me tell you the story. 
So he began to tell a story of a man named David. David was just a normal guy. Come to the church, got saved. They had a faith promise conference at their church. And he committed to give what he could. And he worked at a coffee plantation. And at that coffee plantation, he was just a normal worker. But about a week after the conference, the boss came up to him and said, David, would you uh, be in charge of these four guys for me? Just make sure they do their job, teach them how to do it right. Just kind of oversee. He said, yeah, I'll do that. And the guy gave him a raise, a little bit more money for it. And he came back, told the preacher, and he said, yeah, I gave the missions, and God took care of this. It was about a month later, he asked him to be the foreman. So he took over as a foreman. Then after uh, that, that planting year, the crop was harvested. The next year, he talked to him. He said, listen, I want you to be ahead of the plantation next year. So he moved into that house. Here's a guy that never lived in a house his whole life. He moved in a house. Not only did he move in a house, but he got a truck. And he began to, to be the, the head of this plantation, coffee plantation. And the coffee plantation began to just flourish and grow. And boy, they were making all kinds of money. And uh, it wasn't but about two years later that, and this is the story we got afterwards, this is adding to the story now. Two years later, the government had been dealing with Australia because Australia was kind of lording over them. And now, uh, because of, of decisions that were made, the Australians had to start giving up properties that they had taken away from these people in Papua New Guinea. And it ended up that David was an ancestor of one of these people in which an Australian group took the land away. And so they gave it back to the ancestors, the relatives, and it ended up that the guy got himself his own plantation. So he went from just being as poor as you can be to being really rather wealthy. And he said, I attribute it all to the fact that not only I got saved, but the missionary helped me get a burden and I started giving to see people saved. God took care of it. Here's a man who just ran around barefoot all the time. They had nothing. Now is being used mightily by God. Now that doesn't always happen. That's a very unusual story. But you can see what God can do as people yield themselves to Him. You have no idea what God's in store for you, has in store for you until you yield yourself to Him. God begins to open doors. I would have never believed that God would call me to be a pastor, that I've been pastoring one church for 35 years, that we've been part of starting uh, with out, of, out of our church nine, ten churches. I'd never believe that would ever have happened. But as you yield to God, God can do some great things. You yield to God, and God can do something very special with you. You know, we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. Do something. Do something that we could not ever do because we're loving God, because we're trusting Him. And God can work in our life in a mighty way. We can reach so many people for the Lord if we just yield to Him. We can do some great things. We can accomplish more than you can imagine in reaching people for Christ as we'll yield ourselves to Him.
Would you pray about it? Think about not how much money you're going to give, but whether you're going to give yourself to God or not. Are you willing? Are you willing to give yourself to the Lord and then let Him work in your life? And if you'll give yourself to God, you're going to see some great things happen because God will work in you. I can do all things, all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Let God have His way. What are we going to do? We're going to let God have His way. What are we going to do to show our love? Give yourself to the Lord. and Let Him do what He wants to do through you. Heavenly Father, thank You, God, for this evening. Thank You for Your Word and what it has to say. Help us, Lord, just to yield to You, to let You have Your will and way in our life, God. Lord, You've called us to be Your ambassadors, to be Your servants, to be Your soldiers. Help us, Lord, to yield ourselves to You, that we willingly serve You, we willingly give and go and pray, and that You might do some great things in our life, and great things in this church, Lord. And these things I ask in Your name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed.